fueled by the outdoors your source for hunting fishing archery and all things outdoors brought to you by the elite outdoors welcome to fueled by the outdoors we're your hosts rick cates and chris leppert what up and this is episode 27 and we are smack dab in the uh, first week of November and heading into the second with a vengeance. Yeah, um, <laughs> man. So the end of October was like nearly sexual with the weather we were having. It was yep. shaping up to be so amazing. And 2020 happened. <laughs> And now we have, now I hunt in South Georgia, apparently. Uh, <laughs> thank God I don't. I found out uh, from my, my buddies, they have like three months of rifle season down there. Yeah, it's a long oh, time. <laughs> dude, we got a maid up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Screw that. And they have days like, I think like the first 20 days or something, they were saying you're not allowed to shoot a doe. Right. So they encourage basically the murder and slaughter of baby bucks. So, yeah. It, it will. It's, it's kind of like Alabama where you get like, God, I can't even think of like how, like you're allowed like a deer a day or some shit. Like it, it's, it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. And <laughs> that's from like October to <laughs> January 30th or something. If those people wanted to cut their freaking deer population down, uh, I mean, don't let people kill bucks and make them shoot does. Yep. I mean, I, I don't know how that's so hard to figure out. I, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure as well, but we, we are uh, in the first week of November heading into the second. And like you said, that, uh, that last weekend in October was looked to be great. I had a nice yeah. sit. Um, when was that? I think it was, it was, it was a morning sit. It might've been Halloween. Yeah, it was Halloween, and uh, I had a nice six come through. Finally, had had a, had a deer, and I saw what looked like younger bucks chasing does uh, in the field above my stand. So they were moving. The big boys, though, uh, seemed to have um not gotten out of their beds just yet. They're starting to. Some of those bigger three year olds are starting to move around, but not a lot of the uh, the real big ones. It looks like. Yeah, I'm, um, so I'm seeing all my big deer move, um, seeing it across the board. One, one thing that's really crazy, man, that's tough even for me to buy into, but I know for a fact it happens is, um, those deer, I think people get it in their head that like these deer just turn into like idiots during the right. So the fact that they're moving, not in daylight because every single deer mm -hmm. moves in daylight. Correct. People that don't think that that's correct, check yourself because they do. They get up. It is a proven fact that a, the biggest bucks in the world, the oldest, smartest bucks in the world, they have to move because they change bedding locations when the wind switches, which yep. the wind and the thermals switch multiple times a day. So they have to do that. And, and it may be only like a, a little bit of an area too. It's not going to yeah. be like a half mile or something like right. that. Yeah, but. they're going to move 50 yards or 100 yards or something. And the majority of that time, 
they bed also to where they have entry and exit routes that are generally in pretty good cover. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I have a hunting spot that has like what I would call, well, it's where I took you. We yeah, yeah. Not at all where it is, yep. but um, that ridge runs and then right down below it is a creek. And in yep. between the ridge and the creek that parallel each other, there's a bench and the bench mm -hmm. might be 20 yards wide at best, right. but it's literally covered with honeysuckle. Well, I've been sitting for years on that ridge and I wonder why I rarely see a mature buck up there. Mm -hmm. well, figure that one out. They don't, they don't come up that ridge very much. No. Because they smell me up there. You know why? They come down through that bench where they're completely undercover and we have a south wind or a north wind. Mm -hmm. Guess what? They're, they're scent checking whatever they want. Yep. And so on a south wind, he literally has the thermals dropping down, pushing, pushing my scent mm -hmm. down there. Mm -hmm. And then that wind just churns everything and creates a tunnel. Yeah. And he walks through there checking everything. So um, kind of learned that this week, but they, they use their noses so much. So I believe that the biggest deer have been moving in daylight for well over a week. Well, when I say in daylight, I mean like longer stretches, not just, you know, changing bedding locations, but they're, they're looking they're Yeah. They're, I, uh, end. I, I, um, I figured out something else with the spot that I hunt where I've got, um, strong hand and crab claw at, um, <laughs> what I noticed when I walked, when I walked out, um, uh, after I hunted, was I looked around because the six point took a different route. He came in down the hollow where he normally comes, but instead of going out like this little trail, he cut in through like this honeysuckle area and then shot out a different way. So I looked over there and these deer have this whole area that is probably five yards away from my trail cam, completely tamped down. And then there's a, a route going across the Creek bed there. So those bucks could be moving in and out of there all day long and I would have never picked them up on cam on camera because they're not um, coming near it. They're just, they're, yeah. they're probably moving through that area. It's just not to that food source, but they're just using it as a pure travel corridor, uh, which I believe that area technically is anyways, because it's, you know, it's, it's riddled with sign and riddled with deer trails. It's just a matter of being there at the sure. right time. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's crazy because you think, you know, you throw corn out or whatever and mm -hmm. well, they're at least going to hit it at night or something. And man, I've had multiple bucks, not even, they come in and look at the corn pile and then turn around and leave. And then that's yep. the only pictures you ever get. And then you have an encounter with the deer and you're like, what? Damn. I thought you were like just strolling through and you must be a resident mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. um you're just smart you're smarter than me <laughs> but uh i'm really loving this um this mock scrape stuff is tits like, yeah so let's let's get into that because uh i was actually listening to uh wire to hunt it's an older one with a guy from idaho I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was discussing the importance of making mock scrapes for these big mountain bucks that he 
tends to uh, go after, but also how it's ap- uh, applicable to whitetail hunters uh, in the Midwest and in the East, basically because um, once you locate these deer and once you're finding these scrapes on the ground, you need to be making sure that you're near there. You need to be sure that you're making those mock scrapes on top of that to confuse it. I mean, to at least get, get a sense that, you know, those bucks are not the dominant one or not, not the biggest one in the area. Creates a sense of competition. And I mean, it'd be like, if I came in and told you I was going to sleep with your wife, you'd immediately be on guard and Mm -hmm. all that. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. So, um, I tried these things called bladder pods from uh, Year End Luck Deer Sense. And I, I'll be honest, man, I've, I've used a lot of scents and I've never really been a huge scent guy. I've made mock scrapes and had young bucks and, you know, all that play with them or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, you always see like, I won't name companies, but, you know, there's two companies that I can think of off the top of my head where every, they would kill a damn warthog in Africa and hold up a damn bottle of DRP it's, over it. And I'm like, is one of them a name and a number? No, 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 not tank <laughs> 60. No. I mean, I'll, I don't care. I'll just a pure white tail endeavors deer scent. Yeah. Like everybody's, everybody's holding that stuff up. And it's like, you killed a two year old buck at the beginning of September. Right. You didn't use deer piss to kill that deer. I'm sorry. Right. Yes, I understand deer work licking branches, and it appears that there's scrapes, and you may have found some scrapes, but it's not like something you're going to hunt at the beginning of September. You didn't no. use pure whitetail to kill a damn fallow deer in Hawaii. I mean, I had a guy actually argue with me over that. Like, he killed this fallow or whatever it was. Axis deer? Some kind of stag. Axis deer, that's what yeah. it was, yeah. And held up a bottle of pure white tail. And I'm like, really? Like you're going to go that far. Come on, man. So I keep the sponsors happy. Right. So, um, you know, full disclosure, we are, we are sponsored by you're in luck. But again, if I have something work, I'm going to tell you about it. And until things do work, I'm not going to say anything, you know, I, yeah. I'm super appreciative of our sponsorships that we have and our par- partnerships and everything else. But, uh, I refuse to lie or sell my soul just to get something you right. know, and all that. So um, they make these things called bladder pods. And I think, you know, multiple companies, I, I believe, do this. And you can actually make them yourself. But I'd rather not go through injecting deer piss into a bunch of bath beads. So um, <laughs> they're essentially like a bath bead or whatever. It's like That's a little, what I was wondering about that when I saw them. I'm like, these yeah, look it's like, like a biodegradable. Yeah crystal yeah uh, like gelatin like so Mm -hmm. they inject the the buck piss in there and um essentially how it works is they break down due to rain freezing wind Mm -hmm. you know sunshine all that it breaks them down slowly and so when they break open it's like something peed in there Mm -hmm. so it kind of keeps it fresh and then when the deer come in there and work the scrape they bust them open and it's like so it keeps going refreshing they say they last two or three weeks, something like that. So I took some that were actually like a year old. They were from last season. And uh, I think he sent them to me at like the end of November or something mm-hmm. like that. 
last year and they had lost their golden PP color. Yeah. But I was like, man, this is what I got. I want to make a scrape. Mm-hmm. I normally find scrapes here. Uh, there were some older scrapes that had kind of filled up. So I dug the one out mm-hmm. and poured some buck piss in it and then made my own set a camera on it. And then I dumped buck piss in it and put some of those crystals in there. And I think it was like two hours or something crazy. Um, no, it was like an hour. It was like an hour. Um, Cause it was like uber fat. I had just left. So uh, I get a big mature doe in there. And so I thought, Oh, you know, that was fast. I posted about it and everything. And the next day I'm at the playground with uh, Cora and Colleen. It was election day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went up there to play and my phone starts buzzing and I look and I was like, man, that's quite a few. Cause you, when you have those cell cams, you can tell if it's a little douchebag squirrel yeah. that just ran by and set it off. You'll get one, maybe two. I had like five. So I'm like, oh man, please, please let this be a deer, not a person <laughs> or something, you know? And I open it up and it's a big boy. And I'm like, and I, I think he's right in the mid forties. I have him at 146. Nice. Um, so I'm thinking he's within a couple inches of that north or south. So, uh, it, it really works. I've had multiple bucks hit that scrape this, this week. Um, so does it act as it like a, as a larger community scrape when you dig these things out? Like, do you make small scrapes? Or are you making community? I scrapes? make small scrapes. Okay. I was going to um, say, you're not making like size of the, of a car hood no, community scrapes but, or anything like that. Excuse me. Um, I am headed out to where Goldberg is yeah. this week, this weekend. And um, he has, so that, that deer herd group bunch, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them. Um, I have a corn pile on that property and there were a couple of scrapes that were again, filled up. And so I cleaned them out, put the buck piss in mm-hmm. one of them. I dumped the crystals in and then uh, I did like half or something like that. And then I went up the logging road a little ways and there's yeah. like, there's a scrape the size of the damn hood of my truck yeah almost. about half the hood of the truck yep and uh, i was like oh here's the community scrape so i dumped a bunch in there too and uh i've got a camera on the one scrape down nice. by the corn pile so i'm kind of excited to see how it works now he is an extremely dominant aggressive deer he's the biggest deer around super super testy deer when he mm-hmm. you can tell when he's frustrated he mangled the shit out of multiple trees <laughs> on that property where like he's taken like one and a half inch sap. I'll say in diameter. I mean, you're talking close to an inch. Wow. And he snapping them. I mean, it's insane, but he's a, I think he's the biggest deer I've ever seen. I was going to say like body and neck and yeah, which is how he got his name. Um, his shoulders and neck is stupid. So, uh, anywho, uh, the, the sense seemed to be working. I had another really good evening where I put, uh, I hunted that scrape hoping the big boy would show. Mm-hmm. And I have a three-year-old on camera that I'm passing, even though people think I'm stupid, but he's not mature and I don't want to shoot him. I'd rather pass this deer who's around a hundred and I mean, if he's not 150, I'll kiss your ass and give you 30 minutes to draw a crowd. 
Mm -hmm. uh, he's a mainframe 12 as a three-year-old. So um, I'm giving him the pass. I passed him at eight yards on the ground. And then he ran out to 35 yards and I still didn't shoot him. Oh and then I goodness. went and hunted that scrape the next day. And I had him at 25 yards and 30 yards and could have shot him. And he's completely unaware that I existed. And uh, right afterward, I had two smaller bucks come in. One went over and messed with the scrape and the other one messed with that buck. So um, the sense seemed to be kind of working for me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of excited because um, there's nothing worse than when something doesn't work. So uh, bucks are responding to the grunt decently mm -hmm. over the last six, eight, 10 days, something like that. Um, but the ones that I have dealt with were immature, but I mean, I think you can sight call to a mature deer or any deer and have a chance if he's not a on a mission, you know, walking with his nose. If, yeah. if they have the scent of a doe in their nose, it's like trying to get a beagle off the trail of a rabbit or deer. It, yeah. It's not happening. Uh, you'd have to shoot them basically. So, um, and if they're chasing a doe, you might as well forget it too. But if he's just strolling along and uh, you make a couple grunts, there, there's a good solid chance that um, you're going to get him in. And if you can incorporate any kind of like breaking branches without getting caught or, mm -hmm. um, you know, lowering some antlers into the leaves and sounding like a walking deer or something, or one making a scrape or rubbing a tree, anything to make it realistic because when they hear the sound, but then they hear nothing else, you might as well. I mean, a bigger, ma mature, you know, right. older deer, he's been called to 600 times already this year. So. When we talked about that last week where these deer, when you start getting later into the year, they're going to hear the, you know, can calls and rattling antlers yeah. and grunt tubes and everything else. Unless you're like in a severely isolated area, um, you're going to, I mean, these deer are going to know exactly what that type of stuff is. Now that's not to say don't go out and try and do that kind of stuff. Right. But if you're going to do it, make sure you're, you're doing it the right way. Don't just like grunt twice and then not make any noises. Like yeah, you're, you're going to educate the deer super quick. I mean, they're already right. educated, but cause like I said, I mean, you know, deer travel miles every day, especially yeah. during November. So, uh, when you think about how many parcels that is and how many people have permission to hunt there, yep. you know, if you hear 10 different people grunt a day and can call and rattle, think of how many times you hear that a week. And then during, I mean, well, and, the, and the pain in the ass about the place that I hunt, it's not a pain in the ass. It's just, it is what it is. Like I know the two, the farm, Above me, the, uh, nobody hunts it. The guy who owns a farm that I hunt doesn't hunt but does, and he just rifle hunts those. Um, and then the guy behind me, his son starts rifle hunting next weekend when Kentucky Rifle opens. And there's a farm next to him that I know guys from Georgia come up and lease. It's like 100 acres that they rifle hunt on. So, uh, you know, the the reality for me of what happens with some of these deer 
is that I know they're going to get smacked. Like it's, it's just, a, it's a flat out inevitability. The only ones that I've had repeat come back are a deer that had fibroid on it last year, which is a really bizarre looking deer on his neck. Um, and then he had these real tiny skinny antlers. And then um, the deer that I call height, huh? What did he have on it? Fibroids, those big, like massive ball things. Oh, big masses. Yeah, those big masses. And okay. then uh, the other deer that I call high top, um, I don't know where that deer beds, but he's smarter than hell because he's, you know, this is the third year that I've seen this deer. Um, and he just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And other than uh, Stronghand, he's the other dominant buck in the area. And I have, I don't, I've only seen him one time in daylight, and that was two years ago. And every other picture I have of this deer is at night. So yeah. Pretty far from his bed. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he beds, my guess is that he beds, you know, about two or three farms over. Um, but you know, I mean, strong hands, you know what? I mean, he beds, I think literally maybe 200, 300 yards away from where I'm at, where I'm going in at. Do you have a decent amount of does in there? Uh, I've got a, I got a few, I've got a few does. Um, nothing like it normally is, but the property is weird because with everybody hunting on it or hunting around it, it's good for like after the first week of rifle, because all these does filter into that property. So like, I'll have like two or three does and then all of a sudden like six or seven. Yeah. So then like six or seven does start showing up and it's like, holy hell, like you guys are, you know, coming in here. And that's when you start seeing those bucks come in a little bit more um, because there is a bigger group of them. And, you know, eventually one of them turns hot. It's just, just, you know, the whatever time of the you know, year that it happens. And then I'm still getting those bucks filtering in, you know, late November, early December. And they're still, you know, they're not, they're not small deer. They're the bigger deer. And they're just really cautious about what they're doing. Does start filtering in like that, that's going to be a freaking gold mine yep. to buck hunt. So I would go over there and where you naturally find scrapes, mm -hmm. especially close to a food source or around yep. bedding, I would make a mock scrape rather than I would keep throwing your corn yep. out, but I would make a mock scrape um, and just literally clear the ground away and then dig a little pit that's like a half inch deep by well dig a pit big enough to put like a milk cap yeah a milk bottle cap or a, a water bottle mm -hmm. cap in get you like a gatorade bottle though a good size cap or a milk jug cap and dig a pit good enough in the middle of the scrape to hold yeah. that to where it's not going to blow away or anything take a cotton ball and soak that thing in that buck mm -hmm. piss, put it in there and then pour some of that buck piss into the cap. Yeah. So that way it lasts for a long time and we'll get you some crystals, throw those in there and just sit back and watch the other thing. The other trick is to take wear rubber gloves and take a few twigs, um, something substantial that's not going to blow yeah. away. So not like, 
know, three inch in diameter, like log sticks, but you know, a little quarter inch, half mm-hmm. inch diameter sticks, break them up into four or five, six pieces and dip them in that bottle. Mm-hmm. So they stay in there. Cause essentially the way Josh, uh, Josh Neal with your luck, the way he described it is, um, when you just dump it in the dirt, it like dissipates super yeah. quick. It, it goes yeah. away. So it'll be around for 24, maybe 48 hours. But if you do it that way, it lasts a really long time. And then it gets them coming in there and checking, mm-hmm. working the scrapes out and all that. So, and then again, you know, similar to the beads that break up the little mm-hmm. crystals when they go in there and they pull that, that cap, it just splashes, splashes it everywhere. that stuff where it gets on them. And so um, I would do that and kind of, you can generally most farms have a bully buck. And a yeah. lot of times he's not the biggest buck. He's a big body, stiff neck, freaking tanker. And he'll kick the crap out of every other deer. So you can piss something off like that and then he'll be bed and close. You can kind of get him to hang around a little more. So that mixed with the does, that should well, do it. Crossing so, that happens for me. Yeah. I'm hoping I can get a buck down in the next few days because I want to freaking hunt Kentucky rifle myself, but I can't justify it. If, if you I don't got a deer down in your yeah. open here. So, um, so real quick for everybody, um, want to talk a little bit about the rut. So the rut begins at 8 a.m. on November. <laughs> Just kidding. Every uh, year. The rut, the, yeah, the rut is the breeding season. So it, it doesn't, the, the rut isn't, oh, the bucks are moving in daylight or, you know, whatever. The rut technically is when the does start coming into asterisk. So the peak of the rut is going to be mid-November. And you can look it up in the King James Bible, and it will tell you that it's your the majority of your fawns are going to be created in the middle of November. <laughs> it's, it's no different than turning a bull loose in a pasture with a bunch of in-heat cattle, uh, cows, if you will. Those calves are going to be born pretty damn close yeah. to each other. Not days. But a few, a few weeks, weeks within, within you know, so, to each other. Um, and, and that's, you know, one bull having a lot of work to do. So we're talking about multiple bucks having the chance to breed some does. And depending on your, you know, if you've got a crap load of does, you're probably going to have more of a trickle mm-hmm. rut. It's going to last longer and you're not going to see that explosion. This year, personally, uh, we've got a decent population but it's still not what it used to be. And I think with the way the moon was and everything and uh, certain people figuring things out, um, you know, like hunting the midday movement right after the full moon and during, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're seeing people successful there. So the peak of the rut is mid November period. That's scientifically proven just because you saw a buck with a doe in October or in December that, that doesn't mean anything. No. The majority no. of your does are going to be bred in mid-November. Right now, does are coming into estrus. There's still not a whole mm-hmm. bunch. And this is basically what I would call the peak of the pre-rut. Yeah. This is basically when your biggest deer 
all the big deer, they kind of just can't take it anymore. Now this doesn't mean they're strolling down the road like an idiot, even though they're going to start getting waxed on the roads. But exactly this this just means that these deer are now traveling in search of in heat does estrus does, so they're leaving their comfort mm-hmm. zones. It doesn't mean they're going to be running around and you can do jumping jacks in your stand or whatever and not spook them. It just means that you're going to see them chase and you're going to see them slip up making small mistakes. And every once in a while, people are going to get lucky and get that lottery rut buck that strolls in like a moron (laughs) and he could do jumping jacks and he'd stare at you like he hasn't slept in six weeks. So um, right now, scents work really well, calls work really well. But you also, your best case is always an ambush. If you're if you're rattling every half hour, I can promise you, you've educated more deer than you've right. killed. I, I'm speaking from experience here. So your your best chance is to sight call. When you see the deer, he's not coming to you. Then maybe right. try blind calling is is. I mean. Some guys swear by it, but I, I mean, if, if I can't see a deer, like I don't, if I'm not hearing them, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rattle antlers. I'm not gonna, you know, necessarily yeah. grunt or anything like that. And I've had good things happen, but you know, when you think about what happens when you call to a deer, he is now alert to your presence and can damn near walk. As I say, they're alert tree. to exactly where you're at. Yes. So now what you've done and, and I'll tell you, and you know, I'm sure people hear this and stuff and think I'm a know-it-all, but I'm telling you these people that think that they've never spooked a deer because they're calling or they use ozone or whatever kind of scent Mm -hmm. this or scent killer that you think you haven't spooked deer. What you've done, especially when calling is you've had that mature deer who's highly intelligent go downwind of you where you can't see a lot of times wind carries in weird areas to the point where like your scent might be able to be detected on the knob of the next ridge over. And you have no idea of that because you couldn't even watch milkweed go that far. But the deer knows that he knows that he can go to that specific spot and smell to where he's listening to that sound from. And he's not going to blow. He's not going to advertise and run around and throw his flag. He's just going to hunker down and slip Mm -hmm. out because he doesn't want to alert you to his presence by making noise. So if you sit and you find those geographical locations, those pinch points, uh, if you got cameras out, you got corn out, whatever, slip in there and be quiet. And if you're trying to get him to come in, do a little calling, you know, if you see him, but uh, by all means, don't uh, just sit there and call every half hour because you're just going to educate. The yeah. Animal. And I mean, we're in the time of year too, where if you're not already doing it, guys and gals, you know, you need to be looking at sitting midday. Um, if, oh. if you have the ability to do so, I know that some people can't like, you can only hunt mornings, you can only hunt evenings, whatever. Um but if you if you can stay in that stand just a little bit longer, pack your lunch, put your piss bottle, you know, whatever you need to do, uh, you're pissed out of your tree. Y- yeah, like you know, just 
if you give yourself that extra hour, sometimes that that's going to be the key for you shooting that big deer, you know, get, I mean, shooting a deer period. Um, I've had this happen um, multiple times where, where I will, we would be getting down for lunch midday instead of taking our, our lunch to our stands <laughs> and sure yeah. shit. Like as soon as, you know, you go to move, you know, you know, 90 yards away, you see a head pop up and, Oh, there's, there's the eight point going the other way or, Oh, there's the doe stomping yep. her foot at you. And you're like, well, I still got another eight hours after this to hunt. <laughs> I need to, I, yeah. need, I need to figure yeah. this out. But you know, traditionally like this time of year is, is that best time, uh, which also leads to the point of what we were talking about earlier is um, we've got unseasonably warm weather uh, coming in this next week, at least yeah. to the Midwestern area where it's going to rain on Wednesday and the temperature is going to drop. But, you know, I, I can remember hunting this week last year and it was single digits and it was miserable. Like I, I, I was miserably cold with, uh, it was. but this is going to be um, unseasonably warm. Now I, I want to be clear about this. That does not mean that the rut does stop. It, I mean, that's not going to happen. Uh, it's going to change some stuff though. Definitely. Um, you know, yeah. a big old rutted buck who's got a neck the size of, you know, my calf muscles, you're, uh, you know, you're gonna, you know, they're not going to run around in 75 to 80 degree heat all day. They're going to change their rutting behavior and it's going to look a lot different and he might not be seeing much of it. You just have to be aware of where you're going to go, and where you're going to set up at. Yeah. So the majority of your activity is going to take place at night, plain and simple. Uh, these animals put on enough fat and have the muscular density and everything, the hide, the hair, to keep warm when it is zero degrees. So, and colder. Uh, they're made to survive in cold weather. So when you have these unseasonably warm temps, it's rough. Like when it's 30 outside for a high, there are times where you'll see a buck who's been running does and everything literally walk into the middle of a pond to cool off. So it's no different than if you or I went for a jog, a very short mm -hmm. jog, when it's 25 degrees outside, you're still going to get yeah. warm. Well, guess what? These guys are built to keep warm and then are more muscular. And I'm sorry, but this is going to happen at night. Yeah. Your first and last hours are going to be your best. Uh, similar to summer, you'll notice that the humidity and the, the temps will just drop off the table that last hour. And your coolest part of the day is probably going to be the first hour. Mm -hmm. So you need to be in the woods then, but midday movement still can happen. These deer only get laid for a very short period of time. They're so, trying to get it from everybody they can. <laughs> now, here is my own advice. During this little next you know, four or five days, that, uh, what do we got? Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I am hunting what I call quickie spot. Well, sorry. Not quickie spots. I'm hunting public yeah. for the most part this weekend. I'm not going into my primo spots. The reason being is I'm not getting what I need to feel confident on my cameras. Right. And it's not that I don't want to hunt. I'm going to go 
work my ass off to hunt, you know, public yeah. land. But I don't want to go screw up my spots when I've got cool weather mm-hmm. on its way. So I'll probably hunt public or, or what I call uh, low impact spots. I've got one farm. The farmer cut the corn yeah. out of the middle of the field close to the road. I watch deer all the time come from the woods across the road and get out in that field and eat and go back to the woods and where I'm sitting on my farm's woods in my farm's Mm -hmm. woods, I'm hundreds of yards away. So I see the deer, they never come close. So I want to take my butt and sit in a chair in that corn. I threw a bunch of corn out in the middle of there to get them, you know, to sort of low, you know, centralize in a certain location and attract them to a certain area. And I'm literally going to walk right down the road and walk right down one of the rows of corn and set up and um, hope that something comes out there. Now I have spots like that where, you know, it takes you six or eight minutes to walk Mm -hmm. in there and get set up and everything. You're sitting on the ground, you got a 10 foot stand. Uh, The other day I was hunting 50 yards maybe from my truck um, in super awesome pinch points and stuff. So I don't want to go pushing into bedding or, you know, mm-hmm. hunting, you know, uh, uh, what I would call, like, I've got this spot where it's kind of back off in the woods and, um, I've got corn out and deer hitting that. But if you go in there in the morning, you're going to blow the deer mm-hmm. out and it's kind of fine to do that in November. Cause now's when you want right, to get, you want to be more aggressive, aggressive but at the same rate, for for those of us that don't mind gun hunting, I want to be able to gun hunt that spot still. Mm-hmm. So I want to have the rest of my November. So that leads me to my next point. Um, Tuesday, it's going to be warm, but it's going to start raining. And since it's going to be yep. raining Wednesday, I have to imagine it's going to start raining on Tuesday evening. Yeah, That temp's going to drop. If we've got a decent barometer, do those deer – are going to move, they're going to feed and all you need is the right. Yep. <laughs> so I will be in one of my decent spots Tuesday mm-hmm. evening and probably the same place that I plan to hunt all day Wednesday. Cause my wife has Wednesday. Nice. Off. So I've got that day to hunt all day. And so I'm going to go sit Tuesday evening in the spot that I'm going to hunt Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So all my stuff's set up and ready to go. And all I got to do is climb into that tree and get up there and get set. Good deal. So, um, yeah. So one other thing, lockdown. <laughs> um, lockdown is essentially the time where it seems like all the deer have vanished. Uh, that is your peak yeah. breeding. That is when the majority of your does are in heat. And if you don't have the does, you feel like God hates you basically. Yeah. I mean, so, that's, that's one of those times where, you know, you're, you're, you're scouting your, you, everything we talked about last week, woodsmanship, all that kind of stuff, you know, finding those areas where those does would congregate normally um, is helpful. But if you have information from previous seasons, like, you know, that deers, deers, Jesus, deer are going to areas. I don't love you anymore for saying that. <laughs> Why don't you just say a bunch of dough while you're at it? I seen a bunch of dough. Um, a bunch eating of dough. a bunch of parsimons. Um, 2011 buck. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, 
allowing yourself to, you know, use history to help yourself out also is a really good thing here too. Like I, another property that I hunt in Ohio, um, you know, we hit it during lockdown one year, but the does filtered in through this valley and down like in, they were feeding on the, in this cornfield and all the bucks, you know, you could hear them. Like I'm, it's the only time I've ever heard a buck roar. Like it's, it's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. And it was like right before daylight. And I'm like, what the hell is that? I'm like, Oh, it's a buck roar. And you could just hear them the continual, like four or five of them, you know, on, you know, four or five does and here, here all these does come filtering straight down the uh, area and just kind of like lay down and they're all right there, you know, way far out of bow range, but you know, making sure that you're in those areas is, you know, can be the difference between, you know, harvesting one of those big ones and not. Yeah, I agree, man. Um, do you know why they do that roar, by huh? the way? Do you know what the purpose of the buck roar is? What they're communicating? Uh, probably that they got a hard on or something. I have no idea. Uh, it's, it's actually out of frustration. <laughs> like when a doe won't cooperate huh. or a, you know, a young buck keeps coming in trying to take her or whatever. It's them. That's their, I'm frustrated. And then next comes the snort wheeze. And if they snort wheeze, you're going to get your ass kicked, basically. <laughs> and I've only had, so I think I've only had one wild deer do that. And he snort wheezed at another buck. So we hunted a spot out in Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. It's the first time we ever hunted there, and literally you're hunting a fence row. And, dude, we got set up, and it was 20 minutes later. I thought Greg freaking dropped his ass out of a tree because <laughs> it sounded like Hurricane Katrina was going through there. And I was like, what in the hell is going on? There were seven bucks, and there was one oh, doe. Man. And this is where – People talk about like, oh, I've seen a buck with a doe or he was locked down. Let me tell you what an actual locked down buck looks like. So generally, when you have a doe in heat, there's going to be more than one yeah. buck. You, you generally don't just see them off. Oh, it's just the two of us and it's romantic. <laughs> Other, they're satellite yeah. bucks, just like satellite bulls. They want that yep. too. So... He was a deer that if he would have had both parts of his rack, I'm guessing he would have been in that 60s range, maybe a little better. And this deer had such a good body, you could watch his brisket shake when he trotted and jogged and stuff. Like he is one of the bigger deer I've ever seen, honestly. I mean, he was a very large deer. So, and then... The the second largest one was probably 130, 135 inches. Wow. And I wasn't shooting him. I called that deer into like, I don't know if he was even 10 mm-hmm. yards. I was six feet up in a tree. I climbed an oak tree with a giant ass limb that I couldn't mm-hmm. see. I didn't pay attention because I was trying to get up. And uh, I ran into the limb. I'm like, well, I'm here. <laughs> so I think, I think my eye level was probably like nine oh, feet. So my platform was probably, you know not very high off the ground at all. So um, I'd say my eye level is probably closer to like 13 mm-hmm. feet because I didn't just call like three, but you get it. So um, 
I'm grunting at this deer and I don't really understand what's going on right away. And then I see the doe and I see how this buck is acting. Those other bucks, knowing full well that they will get the ever-loving snot mm-hmm. beat out of them, could actually die, are trying, they, they want to go in there so bad. And they, they keep, you know, it was like trying to keep a dog from his bowl. Oh, okay. You know, so, and he would, he'd run them off and you'd hear that roaring mm-hmm. grunt. And then that buck grunted and that deer turned around with like bug eyes and snort wheezed at him. <laughs> so I did a real loud mm-hmm. grunt and that small buck came and that bigger buck started to come down and he was walking to me. And then I grunted again when he stopped and he went, I thought, holy freaking crap. (laughs) That is cool. So, and I've had that work on some deer, but, uh, you know, it's a pretty aggressive tactic. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I hope y'all have some success for those that are listening. Um, the, the last thing I have to, say here uh, and then i'll let rick you know talk because i never do um (laughs) when it comes to tracking deer that's like an art and the toughest thing to do is to back out if you make a shot and you don't hear that deer crash or watch him fall and you track him for let's say 100 150 yards you don't find the deer and get out out. go take, take the next day off work or half day or Whatever you got to do, but get out of there. You're not just because you're flying in blood. That, that doesn't, doesn't mean, mean anything. Keep following. That's not what you that know, means. Man, it, and, and that's so, that's something you need to decide in your stand. Um, yeah, I, I am. I don't know how other people are. Uh, it, I've every time I've archery hunted. Um, if I ha- if I shoot a deer. I will wait a half hour in my stand, will not move, will not do anything. One, because you don't know if there's other deer in the area. And if you have another tag, you don't want to screw up the stand. The, the, the stand. Sure. Um, so I know last year on the doe that I shot, I shot it farther back and we tracked it and it looked like it was a good hit and didn't realize I had hit it as far back as I did. And we tracked it. I want to say a hundred yards and then got to about 150, heard it jump up and you know, we found the bed. So I'm just like, I'm going to back out. I'm not even, I'm not even going to bother with this until tomorrow morning. Luckily it got cold and you know, I didn't have to go to work until 10 AM the next day and we found her. But you know, if I, I, I can't stress it enough. Like if you want to, if you want your deer, the best thing for you to do is to not go search for your deer. Cause all you're going to do is push it. All you're going to do is get into an area where you're not going to be able to get it. Or it's, you know, God forbid you pump, bump it onto somebody's land and, the, and it's a, you know, POS landowner that doesn't want to let people come on their land because guys and gals, there are those people who will say, Oh, the deer fell dead on my land. Mm, sorry. You don't want that to happen. You, you want to back out, let that deer bed down and, you know, expire and it'll still be there in the morning as long as there's not bears. Yeah. I, uh, 
I could scream at Al Pantalo. Yeah. Now, get the hell out. Like, leave. And then go think about everything that happened. And there's a few things that can really help you as a tracker. So first things first, any good tracker has been a shitty shot <laughs> at some point or yes. you know, made bad decisions. I used to make a lot of bad decisions shooting deer. Now, I got the deer mm-hmm. a lot of times. Uh, so There were quite a few that I didn't, but I learned so much from hitting deer, you know, in the liver or the guts or, you know, in one lung or the heart or double mm-hmm. lung or whatever. So a um, few little tips. So pay attention to body language. A deer hit in the heart uh, has two things that they'll do. One, they could possibly do a vertical leap into the air. The other thing they'll do is it'll look like you literally kick their legs out from underneath them and it, it'll look like they fell on their face almost before they took and they off. run like a bat they'll out of hell man to the ground and then when you heart shoot that deer when they leave it's like the fastest run yeah you know that the deer is running at its yep. fastest it can't go faster i shot my buck last so, year uh in kentucky right through the heart and same thing vertical jump and just the fastest running away you could ever imagine a quadruped ever doing yep and so when you shoot this deer you've got a deer that's running as fast as it can and you know if this is a big Mm -hmm. animal you know a, a mature deer um that's covering some ground and now what you have is a leak you do not have you know the people that say oh heart shots the bet you're crazy hard shot you got a deer running as fast as it can go and it's just got a leak nothing is pumping blood so it's literally just draining out so essentially you're going to get a splotch and then some drops here and there and then a splotch but that splot you know those could be i mean they're few and far between yeah and and that's where you run into like you know if you're tracking at night and you don't know the exact trail it went down. That can be right. tough. When you double lung a deer, generally you're going to watch or hear it fall. Right. Um, that deer is going to blow blood out of both holes mm-hmm. if you if you pass through. Um, so it's going to have a hole in each side of the cavity, and it's going to blow blood out of there, and then it's going to blow blood out of its nostrils and its yep. mouth. So you're going to have a murder scene for a blood trail and find that deer. No problem. And it's going to be dead in a minute or less. Mm-hmm. Generally when you shoot a deer and it's slightly quartered two and you hit it with one lung and then generally end up, you know, hitting the liver pretty good and exiting the guts. It could make a bunch of different, uh, it, it's going to have a lot of, uh, different body the one that i shot last year the doe um she like hunched like you ever seen a cat like on the back of a couch like yeah looked like it looks like it looks like they got punched in the stomach and they look sick and so you can tell they're in pain um so with that that is a lethal shot but that doesn't mean the deer's going the people on the internet tell me wait six to eight hours and it's dead those people are full of shit i shot a buck in 2018 my best buck to date I shot that deer. I thought I made 
an amazing target archers premier mm-hmm. shot. I went, as we always say, deep in the V because you're not doing good unless you go deep <laughs> in the V. Um, <laughs> uh, I put it right in the V of that leg and never touched bone. I zipped through the deer. Um, I thought I piped mm-hmm. that deer. He ran 60 yards, stopped, flicked his tail, and then slow walked off. And when, when that body language happens, that is generally a liver mm-hmm. hit. And I one lung, liver, and gut shot that deer. That was at 7.15 on October 17th. And October 18th at noon, I found him alive, bedded down. I put a second shot on that deer. He ran 200 yards, hopped a five-foot fence, and then made it about another 80 to 100 before he expires. So don't let, you know, when you're talking about a big deer, a truly big deer, not what you think is one, but an actually big-ass animal, they are so tough. Their will to live is insane, and they don't know, you know, they don't get depressed and stuff. All they know is to go and keep going. So that's what they do. So um, if you just gut shoot them generally, and this, you know, this stuff can happen when you look one lung liver gut or liver gut or whatever. But um, when you gut shoot them, you're going to, they're going to run and then probably stop and hunch Mm -hmm. up and Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to tell. A gut shot animal is the easiest animal for a dog to track. Time is your friend and water is yeah. your best friend. You will find that deer next 90% to water. 90% of the time. Um, I, I forget, you might know this, I forget the exact uh, reasoning behind this. It, it's something to do with like essentially their stomach is burning and um, they, they just they feel like they can drink water and make themselves feel yep. better and man that you find them dead in a pond in a creek in a river or next to it um we helped a guy track a deer two two seasons Mm -hmm. ago and he got dude shot it it was 53 yards and he shot it for 37 and the only reason he hit that deer is because it tried to duck the arrow (laughs) it ducked into (laughs) the arrow and he hit it in the very bottom like maybe two inches of the deer like super low and uh we found that deer bedded up. We looked on a map and I immediately said, right there, pointed to a pond. I said, I'd go right there. And of course we let the dog mm-hmm. take up the trail, but we found it right next yeah. to that pond. It was kind of cool. I felt kind of cool, but at the same rate, when you know that, you know that. So with a gut shot, uh, that's the easiest thing for a dog to follow. Now, a lot of people think that you should give a deer time when you one lung hit them and those are your classic they're bleeding like a stuck hog you got bubbles in the blood which bubbles only mean oxygenated mm-hmm. blood that does not mean you hit a lung um you are following this and then all of a sudden it dries up and you're like what in the hell happened then you generally jump the deer well what you want to do and this is difficult for a lot of people because you don't have permission to hunt everywhere in the world but you want to keep that deer moving. Otherwise, it's going to clot up. One lung deer can live for months. Yep. I've seen it personally. Uh, a nameless, excuse me, a nameless hunting buddy that we won't mention uh, used to 
be sort of a page partner of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, shot his first deer with me. I was pushing him to him like a dumbass. We were young. We we're 19 years old or something. Um, I drove deer to him when we were bow hunting and he shot a little five pointer that I'd watched all season long. It was the smallest damn yearling buck you ever seen. And he shot it straight on and he hit one long. Jesus. And we thought for Jesus. sure that that deer was dead. Lo and behold, we're hunting together in the same spot in January. And that deer comes limping underneath me and I passed it so that he could shoot it and it never went over. Oh, to him. I should have just killed it. So, but again, young. So in June, we found that deer dead. Oh, man. Um, so, you know, a few things to know about body language and everything. Body language is huge with deer sounds. Another thing, listen for what your arrow does. If you hear a crack and your arrow doesn't pass through, you probably hit some yeah. kind of bone. And a lot of times if you hit a deer far forward in that leg, it'll sound like a gunshot going off. Well, not only that, but a lot of times you'll hear that roar, mm-hmm. that loud, elongated grunt. Mm-hmm. That is that deer letting you know that it's in pain because you just broke its yeah. damn leg or something. Like that hurt. Um, so just a few sort of tips for people. Uh, if you don't find your deer within 150 yards and aren't super confident that you smoke the hell out of it, just it's not going to hurt you to back out. There's a chance that coyotes could get to it. So I understand that. And I always used to tell people they were full of it on those until I shot a piebald buck and backed out. And then they ate half of the piebald buck. I'm like, you got to be, this is the crowning achievement of my hunting career. And the damn coyotes found this one. They could have found any other deer, but they found this one, the one that I wanted to full body mount. So, um, but backing out's always right. your best option because if you don't back out, there's a good chance the damn coyotes are going to get the deer anyway, but you're not going to get any part right. of it. So um, any closing points, Miss Rick? I mean, the only things I could think of is uh, if you're going to be out in the woods this weekend or through the next few weeks, just be alert, be aware, and, you know, it, it, stay alert, stay yeah, alive. Stay alert, stay alive. <laughs> um, you know, any, anything that we've talked about on here, you know, take it into account. You know, we, we do this podcast to kind of inform people a little bit of each of the little things that we've picked up over time and to help them out. And, um, as always, uh, if you have the opportunity to take someone out, not to your best spot, obviously, but if you want to, that's fine too. Um, get somebody out during this deer season. It could be a hell of a lot of fun for them and make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure you are wearing a tree harness. I'm already seeing pictures of people falling out of trees and grabbing onto them and guys and ladies uh it ain't pretty you know it, it is it is the last thing that you want to happen to you uh this time of year 2020 sucked a lot so far it's gonna suck a hell of a lot more if you fall out of a tree and hurt yourself oh yeah you you are not kidding the other thing i'll add for my closing point now's a good time to fall into complacency and get into the hunting aspect and not be practicing with your weapon. I don't care if it's a gun or a crossbow. Go shoot Practice. it a couple times. We'll make sure everything's on. I grew my beard mm-hmm. out. My string pressure has now changed on my face. So I was at 20 yards, I was good. 
at 30 yards, I was about two inches mm-hmm. left. At 40, I was like four inches Ooh. left. That makes a big difference. So I had to move my sights a little mm-hmm. bit, all because my beard grew. Um, being a target archer, I know that, and that's why I ended up checking mm-hmm. it. Um, but just kind of throw it out there for everybody, you know. Make sure you stay proficient with your equipment because the last thing you want to do is not make a great shot on an animal when you've done everything else right. Exactly. Because the toughest part should be to get him in front of you. It, so I've, um, I've got one more thing with regards to that too, uh, with being proficient with stuff. Uh, heading into gun season for anybody who's doing it, remember we're in the middle of a pandemic, folks, and for at least for Kentucky rifle, oh uh, ammo is hard to come by so if you haven't bought it already i would go buy it now and plan on paying for it because it is not cheap right now and there are limits on the amount that you can buy and if you have any type of popular caliber rifle 30 out six 300 win mag um 243 um hope you have some stocked up because it's really tough to find i need some uh Hornady SSTs for my 12 gauge. This sucks. I'm so glad I listened to this podcast. <laughs> I'm serious. Like you literally may have saved my gun season. Hopefully I don't need the damn thing. Hopefully well, that's, that's kind of my hope too, is that I don't need to use my rifle. Um, I'm still probably going to rifle doe hunt, but you know, I'd like to uh, put my buck down. I mean, I hope that I do it tomorrow morning and then I'm calling everybody to help come have a drag party. So, not not yeah like a drag deer party (laughs) awesome all right well we appreciate you listening guys well guys this has been fueled by the outdoors we've been your hosts rick cates and chris leppert and we will talk at you later have a great rut good luck luck. bye see you podcast today please remember to subscribe like review on all major podcasting platforms we are available on apple google TuneIn, Castbox, spotify and all other major podcasting platforms as always we are available for contact at the elite outdoors one at gmail.com that is the elite outdoors the number one at gmail.com thanks a lot guys talk to you next time